When I was born, my grandmother tied a red ribbon around my left wrist to ward off the evil eye. She knew what was ahead of me and what was behind me. And though she was a great believer in luck and the hazards of fortune, she wasn't about to take any chances on me, her only grandchild. My grandmother had fled or lost countless homes in her lifetime. And though she never fully resigned herself to living in America, she was determined to die in her house in Pearl River, New York, to which she had retired from her job as a supervising psychiatrist at Rockland State Mental Hospital. She would tell me this with some frequency, because my grandmother viewed death as an interesting dance step she'd eventually get around to learning, or perhaps a pen pal she'd come awfully close to meeting several times. No doubt this intrigued equanimity was part of the reasons she managed to live so long. My grandmother told me many things over the years, in a jumbled and constant flow of speech. I hung on to her every sentence, fascinated and admiring. Each word she said was like a vivid, tangible object to me, a bright buoy, a blood-red lifeline. My gut. Maskal. Vegetable. Survive. That was her favorite word. She rolled it out of her mouth with Carpathian verve, inflected with Austro-Hungarian German and French. You're like me, Mirandali, she'd say. You'll survive. This was immensely comforting, because outside the reassuring confines of my grandmother's presence, I was never too sure about that. When Grandma wasn't around, my life was bafflingly full of terror. I say bafflingly because my childhood, albeit eccentric, was outwardly perfectly secure. My parents divorced when I was small, but they'd done so amicably, and each remarried a step-parent I loved as fiercely as if they had all given birth to me. There I was, a nice little girl with two big front yards, climbing apple trees and peeling Elmer's glue off my hands at recess with my friends, except for the moments when my comfortably ordinary world incomprehensibly fell to pieces. Take the day my friend Aaron and I locked her little brother in the bathroom, and Aaron began belting out a loud rendition of the farmer in the dell so her parents wouldn't hear him hollering for us to let him out. One minute I was singing along with her, and the next I was clutching Aaron's arm for dear life, as if she might pull me out from under the avalanche of fear now suffocating me. Stop, I begged her. We have to stop. They played music to drown out the screams of the children when they were killing them. Years later, Aaron recalled that she'd been so upset by what I'd said that she'd run crying to her father. What did he say? I asked her. He told me you came from a family of Holocaust survivors with a lot of bad memories to cope with. All I could think was, I wish someone had told me that. With the clumsy logic of a small child, I tried to protect myself from these episodes by constructing scenes of perfect domesticity in which everything was ordered and beautiful. Careful dioramas I fitted into Kleenex boxes or arranged on the shelf beside my bed. Elaborate habitats I squirreled away in hideouts behind the bushes of our front walk or tucked under my mother's desk. I would spend hours imagining myself away from the world and into these fictitious universes. If you had asked me as a child what I wanted to do when I grow up, I would have told you a career ballerina, scientist, senator. But what I really wanted was my own home. 
a place to keep me safe from the lurking menace of destruction, the horrible crumbling feeling I knew was never far off. The habitats I created were of no use at night. I kept my shoes near the front door so I could grab them quickly if we had to escape in a hurry. But then I'd lie awake and worry we'd have to use the back door instead. Biding my fearful time until I fell asleep, I would calculate how quickly I could jump out of bed and dress and count the places I might hide. I wished I were grown up and more graceful. I believed I was resourceful enough, but not tall enough to survive. I grieved in advance for the loss of my cozy home, with the books on the shelves and the bright bedspread, brush and comb on the dresser, fire in the wood stove, food in the fridge. I would call out for my mother to come sit with me, hoping she could keep my nameless fear at bay and pepper her with questions. Could someone steal our house? My mother always took me seriously, and she replied to my questions honestly, which meant her answers were rarely as reassuring as I wanted them to be. No, she would say. Not usually. But sometimes? Well, if something happened. There would be a small pause as she considered what she would and would not explain. For example, if you had to go away for a long time, someone could move in or steal the paper saying you owned it or make new ones saying it was theirs. What if you came back? I'd press. Well, you would have to prove that the house really was yours. How could you do that? Well, you could go to court if the government were still intact. There was also the question of fire. What if someone burned our house down? That's not very likely. Her calm, dry voice was silent another moment in the dark room. Really, it's very unlikely. 